Today is Wednesday. It is 9-16-2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this time we have together. We, we are privileged to be here at this particular time, and we, we know how important our, uh, what we bring to this earth is, so we pray that you will help us understand the calling that we have received so that we can walk worthy of it. We pray that uh, we will be able to be those worshipers who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we pray for wisdom as we look forward to, to the scriptures that are presented today. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, as you know, Amen. We're studying in Romans chapter 8, and we will probably begin to look at 8.23 today, which is a very pivotal verse, and we'll, uh, I'm sure, hopefully we'll get to that. Uh, in the meantime, we have uh, some Q&A. So I have a couple questions, and uh, I will pick one. This is a question we have that was uh, pre-written. So here it goes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Renewal of the mind is critical. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is more popular, it seems. Why? So, the interesting part is, since we have these questions, it's not me who has to answer them. It is you. So, since you wanted the questions, here they are, and I will pause to hear your answers to the question. I'm just smiling. <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding. All right, so uh, everybody was frozen, I would imagine, because they didn't want to answer any questions. Although... So the, the census says that the fruit of the Spirit is more popular, oh, right? Oh, we do have a, a taker here. Go right ahead, Bill. No, no, no. That's what the question was the taker. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's just a question about Romans 12, 1 and 2, which talks about uh, that we need to uh, be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, and we, and there was a, which one was going be more popular, the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, the, the question is basic. yeah, it's saying the fruit of the Spirit is more popular than the renewal of the mind, which is critical. Right. So, in other words, do we have people focused on renewing their minds, or do we have people focused on trying to mimic the fruit of the Spirit? say that, uh, you know, number one, I don't see how you could produce fruit without renewing your mind by means of the Spirit. How could you produce fruit? No, that's a great thought. In fact, that's... Yeah, that's, that's... That's the way it's supposed to happen, but yeah. I think what we know is people try 
I can like the pastor said, mimic the fruits without the spirit. Yeah. It's not really fruit. Yeah. Yeah. In so fact, people uh, don't, don't even understand those, either one of those scriptures. So they, that's why people are mimicking it because they don't really understand it and they want to look like something that they're not. So love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, all those things are part of the, the fruit of the spirit. So I think both of you guys are. If those, if those are in other words, in an attempt to manufacture, manufacture those, those, uh, those values, um, without the spirit. In other words, are they even, you know, are they even, do they even have the spirit? Have they received the spirit? Um, so they're putting the the uh, cart before the horse, uh, backwards. And if they attempt to mimic it, that certainly is something that God won't receive as a reward. You want that person that's attempting it. I mean, how could they get a reward for something as wood, hay, and stubble? Mm. Yeah. Agreed. Other thoughts? Well, I guess the, the question was, why is it more popular? Mm -hmm. And renewing your mind takes takes more than just uh, yourself, you know? Um, so most people don't even know that they need to be sitting in front of a past teacher and, you know, to be into the... Uh, the mystery doctrine, so they have no concept of what renewing their mind is even all about. Mm -hmm. So it's not so popular. It's just like the mystery is not so popular. You know, been around for two thousand years, but most people still still a mystery to most people. Absolutely, I think you you guys are hitting it on the head, especially there as well with with what Bill was just saying is. Because really the question is asking, what is, why is one more popular than the other? Why do we hear so much about the fruit of the Spirit, but not so much about being transformed by the renewing of your mind? And, and you know, I think, and the question really understands that. Because it, it says, uh, renewal of the mind is critical. So I think the question understands that. And you guys are right. Um... It is not a popular thing to do because you have to submit to to God to have your mind transformed. That's part of a pursuit that a lot of times people may or may not be willing to engage in. Uh, on the other hand, I think somebody was saying, whether it was Bill or Fred, about uh, it's easy to manufacture, what, at least what they consider manufacture, of love. And, you know, that is one of the key words that Christians will say. you got to love everybody. You know, make sure you love everybody. And um, joy, they may try to manufacture what joy is and try to appear happy. 
to other Christians, you know, once Christians get together, they want to practice and let people, other Christians know that, hey, I'm, I have what the scripture says I'm supposed to have. I have joy, you know, and peace in my heart. I'm tranquil. I'm, you know, this is the persona of what they think Christians are supposed to be. But the fact that they manufacture these things is all wrong. <laughs> so can you, you can't bear fruit unless, now it just so happens that we are talking about bearing fruit on Sunday. And so we are getting, we're starting to get into it, but we're, we're going to really dig into some thoughts about bearing fruit. So if somebody can tell me what I'm doing wrong, right? Because if I got these seeds for tomatoes and I planted them and it, it was yesterday, I, I watered them just like it said. And then today I went there and I was ready with, you know, I had my bread and mayo and I was going to have myself a BLT but there was no tomatoes. So what did I do wrong? I guess lack of patience. <laughs> lack of patience? What do you mean? That's what it said. It said you, you put the seeds in the ground and up comes the tomatoes and you can eat tomatoes. You can have the fruit of the, the vine, right? What did I do wrong? I guess you didn't wait for the increase, which only God can bring. Okay. So that's simple, right? It's so simple, nobody wanted to even say it. But it takes time to grow, doesn't it? That's the literal right answer to what I'm posing here. It takes time for it to grow. How much time do I have to wait? So, so wait till tomorrow? How much time do I have to wait? God's speed. <laughs> so, so hopefully you're, you're understanding the thought here is that it's going to take time to grow. So in the sense we're talking about here is the transformation of our minds. That's not automatic, right? It takes time for us, our minds to be transformed doesn't it? It takes time for us to grow. And then, how do we grow? It is the spirit that is the one who is, is the agent in transforming our minds. If we're transforming our minds, we have to transforming, we have to transform our minds into something new, right? You can't say, well, we've transformed our mind, but we're still thinking the same old thing. It has to be something new. So where are we getting that new from? It's a come, it can't come from us, because what we have is the same old, same old. We're transforming our minds with our own minds, then we're going nowhere. So we have to transform our minds from the thinking of God. The Holy Spirit brings that to us. And then... The fruit of the Spirit is what eventually will happen. You're, what you guys should be telling me, as I think Bill was really trying to tell me, I didn't have patience or something. 
guys are not too verbal tonight, but that's okay. What, what it is, is the fruit will result if, if the growth happens. Right? So even though the little sprig comes up and there's a little tiny plant there, there's no tomatoes on it. And, you know, there are some trees that you could plant. And let's say it's a peach tree. You can plant it and it, there'll be years before peaches begin to develop on that tree. Why? Because first the tree has to grow enough before it is able to bear fruit. So there's, both of these are things that uh, happen by process. It is not something that's going to happen tomorrow. So one of the things to note, you cannot mimic renewing your mind. There's, there's no, you, well, you could, you could pr probably try, but you can't really manufacture that. But you can try to manufacture love, joy, peace, as those things we were talking about. But notice, love, joy, peace, and all that is the result of, fruit means result. It's the result of the Spirit. Now, both of you guys had the comments here. You guys were right on time with what... I'm putting the questions away. I think we pretty much got it. You guys were right on time with the thoughts here about how one is part of the production of the other. You have to grow before you can produce fruit. It takes time. This is not something that it's going to happen tomorrow. And even if you do get it, even if you understand it, it still may take time before there are results or changes in the way you walk. So, only way we can walk differently is if we think differently. Now, if we are thinking one thing and walking differently, that's called hypocrisy. If your walk is different from what's on the inside. Jesus chided the Pharisees over and over for this. You whitewashed tombstones. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. So th that is not where we want to be, manufacturing some sort of behavior. What we want to do is just like Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. Well, how do you do that? Well, that comes from the transforming of our minds, the renewing of our minds. So, we, we, I think we, sh we owe it to ourselves to at least turn to Romans chapter 12. So it says, in one, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So this is it right here. This is what we're doing. You want to talk about worship? This is it. This is the, the highest form of worship right here. Is to present ourselves to God. This is humility. But he explains it in more detail in the next verses. How do we do it? Here it is. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
So there is the process right there. First, you have to be transformed, changed. You have to go through a metamorphosis of change. You can't do that. The only thing you can do is submit yourself to God. God will work in you to willing to do his good pleasure. That's how your mind gets changed, renewed. Then, says the next phrase, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That follows the transformation process. Then you can, then you can know what God's will is. Right? You, you'll be able to test it. To go out and try it on for size. <laughs> to go model it. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is important for us. I mean, there's so many ways we could say it. But here's another way. Right here. That's how it happens. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And he continues in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think more of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, this is where it talks about humility, right? We have to have humility to receive. Right? You, arrogance is only, uh, it cannot receive, it can only give. Right? It can tell people who you are. But humility is a, it allows you to be transformed. So, so, it, <clears throat> so it says... Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now this sober judgment, rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober and drunk are terms used in the scripture. Drunk is the opposite of sober, obviously. Drunk means you are out of the filling of the Spirit. You are not filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, which is, leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 16. So there, that filling of the Spirit is in opposition to being drunk. And here he's using the same thought, sober judgment, meaning thinking with the influence of the spirit now you you should know that that's normal the normal christian life just like a person who's thinking soberly is so is so much different from a person who is drunk and so you you are you think of and how you think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith god has distributed to each of you what is this this faith so, there was some translation who translations they, they say it is the measure of faith. I think it's King James. Let me see. Uh, yeah, so as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. NIV just says says that uh, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So what is this faith that God has given to each of us? Now, be careful about this. If I ask these questions, I could. These are, these are sort of 
tricky questions. I mean, not that we have never covered this before. We have. But uh, well, I should have a little more faith in you, right? So what is this faith? Let's just lay it out there. Remember. Well, that, God, that God gives gifts to every believer. He distributed to each of you. He gave spiritual gifts to each and every one. We all have our own spiritual gifts. Right. So with that gift, he absolutely he right. Gave a measure of faith. Absolutely right, but wrong. I'm going to tell you the right part and the wrong part. The right part is you are. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> the wrong part is you said it too fast. We, we try to. We try, we're trying to milk it a little bit and help people, uh, you know, come to it. You just can't come right out and say it. No, I'm kidding. Yes, that is absolutely right. Yeah, uh, no wrong in that. Yeah. So that is exactly the measure of faith that each one of us has. And, you know, it's different for each of us, right? And how did, just to know, how did Fred get that so easily? Because it's right there in the context, isn't it? So we don't have to look far to figure these things out. And I think a lot of the questions I ask you are really reinforcement questions. If we have read something and understood it, then I'll come right back around and ask a question. Hey, what is that? You're supposed to apply right there what we just talked about, where we didn't just say what it said, we said what it meant. That's important. We're following the leading of the Spirit by the context here. That's that's exactly what it is. And, and we don't even have to go into greater detail. Not that we have a whole lot of time, but but that is exactly how we are to investigate Scripture with the Spirit of Truth. Let Him tell us what it means. Help him, help, let, us, let Him help us understand what it means. That's why it says the Scripture is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we, the man of God, may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, mature. That's exactly how we do it. We allow the Spirit of Truth to lead us. We don't come up with stuff that is erroneous and extraneous. We allow the Spirit to tell us what it is. So thank you, thank you, Fred and uh, Bill, for. So, so this is a. Uh... Excuse me, just, I just want to make one more comment. So mm -hmm. uh, this is a tenant, uh, Pastor, with your ministry. And I think um, to take part in your ministry uh, is, is something I'm trained, I've been trained to do. I read up and I read down on every question. So there's a filter that if it doesn't match the context immediately, I have, a, I have a question whether they're making the right application. Yeah, I think I I appreciate that, and that I, that is important as you you know study the word that you do. If someone says, "Hey, here's what the scripture says," and then you read it, and then you realize, wait a minute, the scripture is really talking about something else here. But you have taken that verse and applied it to what you wanted it to say. Wow. I mean, if that were the case, we can just pick up a dictionary and say that's the word of God because we can put lots of words together any way we want. All the words are there. 
but that is not how we read the Bible. There are definitely some contextual things that each writer was led to write according to the Spirit. Those of us who, with the humility, want, wanting to learn from God, with the spirit of humility that we bring, saying, I want to know what you're talking about, God. I want to understand you. Then, yeah, that's, that's where we, we seek to look further than the, the, the proof text that is given to us. So, yeah, sometimes it's good to rehearse that in ourselves, just to see. Not that we'll understand everything, but it is good that we have that as a tenant or principle of, uh, or we should say a rule of interpretation. So that when we look at the scripture, that's at least something we do. Yeah. Other thoughts out there before we head into Romans? We're already in the Romans. Hey, just imagine, we're going to be at Romans 12 one day. So, all right then. Romans 8, where are we? Romans 8. So, we have covered a few verses. I'm going to read them anyway, and as, as in prep to get us to 8.23, where I think we are now. So, verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So, this is it, verse 23. So let's cover a couple thoughts here. Not only so. So the not only so part tells us that it is relating by analogy our experience, our, our, this is our church age experience, to what happens previously in those verses I just quoted. It, and it is saying that being that we are the sons of God, it is relative to what's going to happen when we are finished, when God is finished with us in the process that all he promised in our calling would come to pass. So God, it's not corny to say it, but God is not finished with you yet. He's not finished with us. And I know I've seen that on t-shirts and, you know, people saying, you know, what they're really saying is I'm not perfect. Uh, don't, don't judge me. I'm not perfect. God is not finished with me yet. But that is not the thought here, is it? Because he that began a, began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. So that's Philippians 1. That's for sure. He will continue it. You, you can be sure that he started this in you, he's going to finish it. There's no doubt about it. So not only so, 
relates the experience that we have in becoming church-age believers, first fruits of the Spirit, we'll get to that, with, and, and us receiving our resurrection bodies, which is the whole completion, this is verse 23, us receiving the beginning of, uh, you know, the church age until we get the redemption of our bodies. Now, you know, that's one, two events that he mentioned, Pentecost, right? The first fruits of the Spirit and the redemption of our bodies. You know what that is? The rapture of the church. That's the entire church age right there. So far, it's over 2,000 years, that period in verse 23. So we, we are pictured there. Why are we pictured there? Because we affect what happens in all creation. And that is the beginning of our experience. When I say our, I mean the church, church age and the very rapture of the church when we do get the redemption of our, our bodies. Where it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead will be raised first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. That is the end of the church age. What happens on the earth? Chaos, confusion, on and on, tribulation. So 8.23 is that, that one verse that is used by analogy to relate us to that verse. In 18, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That will be revealed in us is when we get the redemption of our bodies. So, it, talk about impactful, critical. That's you all the way. That's who you are. Critical, impactful, uh, significant in the Father's eternal purpose, in His plan. I would hate to say it this way, but it's all about us, isn't it? I mean, I guess we could probably say when Israel was on, on board, Israel was saying, it's all about us, it's all about us. I can imagine they thought, yeah, it was all about them. Because guess what? It was at that particular time. God's plan on this earth was revolving around his creation of the nation Israel. That was, the, that was the most important and impactful thing that God had done up to that point. But now, we learn Israel is affecting the world here. We are affecting the universe. That's how big what God has done. It's hard for us to imagine it. Let's break this verse down a little bit more. 8.23, not only so, but we ourselves. Here it is. That's us. We're a unique body when it says we ourselves, the church. Right? And this is uh, 1 Corinthians 10, right? 32, I believe, somewhere in there, where it says there are three entities now. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, and then there is the church of God. There are three entities. Before it was just two. It was Jews, then there was Gentiles. And, and there still are Jews and Gentiles. 
but now there's a new entity. Well, we already saw it. If any man is in Christ, he is a new spiritual creation. He is a new creation, period. Because he's in... That, that's three. So there's three entities, Paul says. Give no offense, neither to the Jews, to the Gentiles, or the church of God. So, so that is just like it says in Ephesians 2. It says, out of the two, God made one new man. So that new man is neither Jew nor Gentile. He's something different that God has made him. So that's, that's us. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we, we should note what first fruits means. Because we know that what happened, and I could go to Acts, and I may force over and read a little bit about what happened at Pentecost. Because these are part of the feasts that God commanded that Israel bring. And I want to read, a, what is first fruits? What is that? And we, we know that that is Pentecost. right? But I want to read what it is. Now I'm getting this from Exodus 23. And if you want to go there with me, you can. Exodus 23, just to understand what is the first fruits. And this is 14 through 17. So Exodus 23, 14 says, Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Uh, the celebration, 15, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. So just to note, Unleavened bread is what? I could ask that question, and you could say Passover. That's the answer. Now, before we go into the other feast days, just I just want to think about <clears throat> how Ju Jesus came in the context of prophecy. So even though what we have is the mystery, and it's not found in the Old Testament, Jesus is not the mystery. And he was prophesied in the Old Testament and spoken of, there's over 700 prophecies. And I have a book that says that. I didn't read all of them, but I read quite a few of the prophecies of uh, mentions that he has in the Old Testament that deal with what he would do, the work, what he would be like, how things would be once he came, on and on. So... This unleavened bread, just to note, and there's, there's one of the uh, writers that I was reading, one of the commentaries, and they made the point that Christ, just remember, when all the Jews were sacrificing the, the, the Passover lamb, Christ was being sacrificed on the cross. Of all the days that God picked for Christ to die on this earth. Or that, you could say, that did it just happen that Christ died on Passover? Or that it was a mistake, or it was just happenstance that Christ died on Passover? Or is it some that something that was in the plan of God? We have to say that was in the plan of God. And this is something God wanted to sell, that Israel... They continue to celebrate the Passover today. Uh, we're we're talking Jews, and and it's this time every year, right? They have 
this feast. And there are three t in the Mosaic Law, we have three times that they were to bring uh, or feast to the Lord. Now, this unleavened bread was Passover, and they were to eat unleavened bread as well. And it was a whole thing. We're not going to go into that. That's one. That's not even the one we're trying to get to. You could read about it if you want. Uh, and then, what else is it? Um, let's keep reading. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and as commanded, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time of the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. 16, Exodus 23, 16. Celebrate the festival of the harvest with first fruits, there it is, of the crops you sow in the field. Now the first fruits is just a small offering of what you, this is the beginning of the year, so it's the beginning of harvest. So before you got into the harvest and the, all of that, the reaping, you were to bring the first fruits of the harvest to God. And the first fruits is like you saying, giving back to God, a portion of what he has given you, which is, but the portion is representative of the whole harvest. So you're saying thank you to God by giving him the first fruits of your harvest. You're, you're saying thank you for gi giving us the harvest, the whole of it. This is where Paul took that and turned that into a deposit, right? What is the Holy Spirit? He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the purchased possession. So notice the play on words of how Paul took this festival. Now, just like we talked about, Jesus actually died on uh, Passover. And guess when first fruits is? It is seven Sabbaths after Passover. So that Passover is is comes on a Sabbath, and there are seven Sabbaths from there. And we know that the Sabbath that Christ died on was a high Sabbath, which means there were two Sabbaths. It not only was a seventh-day Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, but it was also a ceremonial Sabbath, which is, and it was Passover. So they call that a high Sabbath. So seven Sabbaths from there, and you can read all this somewhere, I don't know if it's here. It's another passage I was reading about it. And then it is on the first day of the week. So seven Sabbaths is 49 days. And then the next day is Sunday. So Pentecost is the Feast of First Fruits. Happened on the first day of the week. And it just... So happens by coincidence that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost on Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, is that something that just happened by accident, or did God plan that as part of His eternal plan? I'd say the latter. So that to me is interesting. So then, what else? What else do we have here? Then it says, uh, where are we in our scripture here? Well, we just read 16. Celebrate, and then it says, in the rest, half, other half of 16 says, celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. So 
So again, another celebration in gathering. Right? Funny, in our church we had, uh, at Seventh-day Adventist, we had around, I think it was around October, what they called in-gathering. We used to go out and collect money for in-gathering. I don't know if it was food. You, you tell me, Fred. But, but that is something that we did as Seventh-day Adventists. We had in-gathering. But notice, in-gathering is at the end of the season. And that's when the in-gathering represents that God gave us a bountiful harvest and we are thankful to him. And we give back that part to God. So, you know, what is interesting here is when we think about our season, Christ died, and he happened to die on Passover. Fifty days later, which is Pentecost, he, the Holy Spirit comes and happens to be on Sunday. And then that starts a new chapter, a new dispensation the church. And then there is this, so we, we do have two of the feast days covered right there, but then at the end of the uh, year, or the harvest, is in gathering. And guess what that probably is, will represent? Our resurrection, the church's resurrection, whenever that is. Now the Jews are really oblivious to this. Not not oblivious. They may just reject it. Some don't know. But uh, they continue to celebrate these feasts just like the Mosaic Law told them, without regard of what Jesus did, without regard of what the church age happened and all that, or, or the rapture of the church. But back to Romans. Back to, so those three feast days, I just thought I'd give you a little Israel history. Uh, since it did come up in our context, which we should be aware of. You know, you should, you should also, there's, whenever Paul gives references to Old Testament things, it, it's a good idea to look at them up because he's drawing analogies and making points. But if you don't know what the points are, if you're not sure what they link to in the Old Testament, then you might want to do some reading to see. It's a good pursuit to see how because remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He understood Old Testament scripture. That was his life. It wasn't just, well, he read it sometime. No, he, he lived and breathed the Old Testament. That was who he was as a Pharisee. Even though he, he did it without the ministry of the Spirit. So there was not a whole lot of understanding. It was much more about ritual for him. But he still knew it. And he now he's in the church... And his mind is rich with all sorts of analogies that he can draw from the Old Testament. And he does. This is one of them. Now, even though these things happen, yeah, yeah, they happen at a particular time, which I say it is in a God's plan. But just like God reused predestination, election, you know, foreknowledge, all those things, he used them for Israel. And what does he do? He repurposes them for the church. So it is, he's, God is, he's using these first fruits and uh, for Pentecost. Now, does it say anything about the church age would begin in Pentecost? Absolutely not. It doesn't say that in the Old Testament. But it happened on Pentecost. That is key for us. 
So looking at Romans 8.23, let's keep going. Let's see what else we can glean from this. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So the Spirit came at Pentecost. <clears throat> when what well, we've been talking about, it just so happens that we've been studied Romans chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 14, and now we're in 15, but we saw all those passages where Jesus promised that the Spirit would come, the Advocate, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Spirit of Truth, and He would come. He didn't say when He would come, but for sure, uh, He kept saying He was coming, and it was going to be soon. He kept making it seem like it wasn't going to be 20 years or 50 years or 2,000 years. It will be soon. So it's interesting. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, here it is. We, we want to just make the point here. Um, so it says in verse 3, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them, uh, spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating, this is verse 4, Acts 1, 4, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, this was 40 days after Christ died, right? This is where he died, and he rose again, and, and he spent 40 days with the disciple. He says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set in his own authority. Notice he didn't answer that question directly. But we have the answers to those questions, don't we? Yes. It's just like Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will not speak on his own. He will, he will also tell you what is yet to come. We got it. Verse 8. But when, you but when you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, him from their sight. And this is where the men uh, said, why are you gazing into the sky, and so forth. We're going to fast forward to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, notice what day it is, this is the day of first fruits. The day of Pentecost came. It was it was that day. Now, I read one commentary where they said, uh, Luke was just trying to make it all jive and all that. Right? But no, this was the day that it happened. It just so happens <laughs> that's what God was planning. Just like you could say, well, oh, Christ died on the Passover day. Yeah, he did. And this, the church began at Pentecost. Yes, it was. Pentecost. So I think God was trying to tell us that these were significant events in the Jewish calendar and he was using them to establish something new. So when the day of Pentecost came, 
they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like a, a sound like a blowing or of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews of every nation under heaven. See, notice, why were they all there? It was Pentecost. And in Pentecost, they were commanded to come and to present the first fruits. So this is um, interesting. I just wanted to make sure we got this. I'm headed back to Romans 8, 23. It's not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We saw how it all worked out there. So what is it that we got with this first fruits of the Spirit? What is Paul trying to tell us? Trying to tell us something new that happened. Even though he's using the backdrop of this feast of Pentecost to do it. So what, is, what new is he telling us? Well, it's the inauguration of the church. And how is it? Because of the Holy Spirit coming. This is a new age. A new dispensation, as Paul says in uh, Ephesians 3 and 2. He says, Surely you have heard of the administration of God's grace which was given to me for you. That is the mystery. And then in 8 he says... Uh, that we should behold how God is administering this, this new age. I mean, how it's working, right? So it's important. So Ephesians 3, 2 and 3, and then 9, they both talk about a new dispensation that's happening now. It was, and not only new, is it, it was hidden. It wasn't revealed. We have all that information in Scripture. Here it's called, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Notice the play on words here that Paul is using. He's using first fruits to say that it's only a small portion of what we're going to get. But what the, the bounty of what we're going to get is not until later when we receive the adoption to sonship, which is to say we get our resurrection bodies. When we get our resurrection bodies, God has finished all he has planned for us. And now we have, are fully standing in all the glory of God that he planned from eternity past for us. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's us. So what, if, as we learn about this and we know about these things and we understand what the end of it is and we think about groaning inwardly. Now, what does it look like to groan inwardly? So, first of all, it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be something on your face that is all twisted up when you're walking around. Somebody says, what's wrong with you? And you say, wow, I'm, I'm just having a hard time inside. I'm groaning inwardly. So it's not like you got a bad stomach ache and you're like, oh, and, you, and it shows on your face. That's not what we're talking about. Groaning inwardly is, a, is, a, is what we might call a confident expectation. Or there's another word for it, hope. 
hope is not just, well, I know things, I know it's going to happen in the end. I, I know Christ said he's going to come back and we're waiting for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know it's going to happen. See, it's not just that you know it's going to happen, but it's that you long for it to happen. So the groaning inwardly says, I know God has made something very special of me. God, the calling that I have is, is just the first fruits of it. But I know, like Philippians says, Philippians 1.6, that uh, God is going to definitely complete what he started in me. And so the more I learn about who I am and the importance and significance and criticality that it brings for God, I also have this hope that hope burns in us that says not only do i know it's going to happen but i am longing i am what i want i am wanting this to happen i want to see this occur now i want it that's the hope so now do we what do we do that we know who this and look when we we see this in the context of what we just read about the earth, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. The creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay, brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. I mean, this is, that's the context of me understanding God's calling in my life. And I want that. I'm, not only do I want that to happen, I'm, first, I know it's going to happen. I know I'm a son. I know that's who he's talking about. And all I want God to do is complete the work that he planned for me from eternity past. And that is the redemption of our bodies, our adoption to sonship. When we get that, we're in that position where we have that effect on God's eternal purpose for all things. But the more we understand about that, the more we long for it. First, we've got to understand what it is. It's not even a matter of longing for it. It's a matter of apprehending it by faith. Learning it. Just learning what God did and what he says about who we are. Then the Holy Spirit causes you to long for it. See, and this is exactly what he says in Romans earlier in 5. Right? In 5. Where he says, uh, he says, verse 3, 5, 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. There it is. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now get that last verse. Hope does not put us to shame. Why would hope put us to shame? It's because we're thinking these lofty things about us. We understand God's plan now. We get it. We know what he planned for us from eternity past. And it doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because we love what God has done just like God loves what he has done. 
We don't care what people on the earth think about what we, who we are. We know who we are because God has made it clear to us that we're sons. In no uncertain terms. Not only that, the Holy Spirit testifies with joint witness to our spirits that we are children of God. And of children, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. So this is, this hope, it's not just, yeah, absolute confidence. I know God's going to do what he said he's going to do. No, it grows into what Paul is saying here as groanings. In other words, a longing, a desire an increasing desire that God that we have what God says he will give us that we know we just are praying that it will happen for us so what do we do we know that we are in this situation let's finish out the verse I'm over time I'm sorry but let's just finish out the thought here so if we groan inwardly back to Romans 8:23 as we as we wait eagerly so there it is that's what groan inwardly means no wrinkled up face we have an expectation within us our mind is on heavenly things so what do we do? we know it's the re we are that that's what first john says beloved now are we the children of god not right now we are the children of god and we're just waiting for God to complete his work within us. I don't think we're going to finish because I want to talk about what it means to be this adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. And, and just to note, all of this hinges on one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that makes all of this possible. And that is the baptism of the Spirit. What we're talking about is the results of the baptism. That one ministry. Now there's other ministries, four other ones. But that one thing that identifies us, baptizes us into the body of Christ, identifies us with the person of Christ, that one thing is the reason for all of this. These results that we're reading about. So next week we'll talk more about this. We'll finish it. We'll talk more about the baptism of the Spirit and hope. I hope you all will be here. I say that in the biblical sense, meaning I have absolute confidence that you will. And I long for our next meeting together. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of this study, this church that we have. Where we're able to come together and bring our our minds together so that we can speak the truth in love and grow up in him. We thank you for those who have come and spent their time uh, thinking uh, in with the filling of the Spirit together. And we pray that we will continue uh, to explore new heights and vistas as we look into your word. And we have the expectation that all that you have said about us will certainly come to pass. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen.